0: Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris.
1: Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard it. Heard it on the sideline with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly.
2: That's right. We've made it to episode two. Congratulations, everyone. And by everyone, I mean myself. Thanks to Keely and Chris for another rousing podcast intro. This is indeed the Herd It on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family, where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain and take a little bit deeper look at some of the things that may go unnoticed if you're flipping on a USC game and haven't been following along quite intently throughout the week. We're talking the challenges, the work, the efforts, and the successes that take place behind the scenes. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, and today we're jumping into recruiting with the passing of the former college football holiday... I say former because National Signing Day is not quite what it used to be. Once upon a time, it was something where everyone would take off work or be really intently paying attention to their computer at work so they could see who's committing, who's making that last-minute flip, who's changing, whose recruiting class is going to come out on top. Now that all happens in December. No longer in February. With the early signing period, things have been adjusted, and now you see much more action taking place in December than you do in February. But the Trojans had a little bit of action yesterday. They signed two more significant pieces in their 2021 class, including picking up the commitment of linebacker Rajon Davis, who made his decision live on the 24-7 Sports Signing Day show. The former LSU commit picked the Trojans over the Tigers as well as Ohio State. A uh, big pickup for USC, in my opinion, just because this is a guy that gives their defense versatility. He can move. He can he can be able to attack the passer. You can use him off the edge. You can use him in coverage he can cover slot receivers keeping them in front of him he can also turn and run you know up the seam if someone takes off there so I think he does a lot of things really well and because of that, it's going to make their defense even stronger when they're able to throw him in there and maybe we even see him used in a similar vein as Talanohufunga, Funga, a guy that was so versatile it enabled Todd Orlando the defense coordinator to do a lot of different things moving a lot of pieces around so Rajon Davis when he jumps in the lineup we'll see how they try to use him there. USC also signed four-star cornerback Sierra Wright out of Los Angeles Loyola. The top 100 prospect is a face you're going to see this summer. Actually, you'll see him in Space Jam 2 as he's going to be playing LeBron James' son in that movie. He's a guy that you know fit in perfectly with the Hollywood vibe, name, image, likeness, those type of things. He's going to fit in well there as he wants to be, you know have a career as a actor as well as a football player. So another big piece on the outside. He's got the long uh, arms that you are looking for can cover really well has good ball skills so two big pieces to the defense usc with a great defensive class they finished number eight in the nation and number two in the pac 12 as far as the overall class and maybe there's still some some action to go there with the number one player in the country in the 24-7 sports rankings jt tuumaloa saying recently that he is going to wait until April before he makes his decision. Uh, the pandemic has affected everyone a lot differently, and JT is a guy who's a basketball player as well, so he has not had an opportunity to go visit the schools that he wants to, so he's waiting until the NCA kind of opens up its dead period, and so he can make go make some visits and visit the campuses of Ohio State, Alabama, uh, USC, Washington, and Oregon, those are his five finalists. We'll see if USC gets in the mix there, if they can make up a little bit of ground as Ohio State is perceived to be the leader there, but so far, a big bounce back for the Trojans to be able to to go from the number 64 class and the worst it, it, that they've had in the modern recruiting era to now being back in the top 10, even if they aren't the top team in the Pac-12, big rebound for them there. But today, we're going to be talking to Malik James, who founded and runs one of the top 7-on-7 teams in the nation. I'm talking about Premium Sports, the program that's produced a number of USC players recently, including... Five of their top signees in the 2021 class. Quarterback, Miller Moss, the number one player in the country in the 24-7 sports composite, Corey Foreman, along with Rajon Davis, and two more uh, defensive backs as well, Anthony Beavers and Jalen Smith. Five really good players. Four of them on the defensive side have all come through the premium sports program. We talked to James about those five Trojans and how USC actually turned around their recruiting efforts this year. Psst. Dante Williams might have had something to do with that. Malik also talks about his unique relationship with the aforementioned Dante Williams and how he eventually wants to follow in the footsteps of a guy like Gavin Morris. Some very interesting things from, from Malik in this. He gives us a look at how different things have been for 7-on-7 seven seven teams and the prospects that he's trying to help get to college, how they're trying to get seen this year with the pandemic. It's a, you know been a unique situation. And last, he breaks down how college football recruiting is just like dating. And why a flip commitment can be the equivalent of a disastrous Valentine's Day. You don't want to miss that, so stick around for that. But first, I want to start with two positives and a negative. Since we're talking USC recruiting, we got to start with the positive, and that's Corey Foreman. The first number one player in the nation for USC since Matt Barkley in 2009. Huge pickup for USC. Former Clemson commit. He decommitted from there, but he was still looking at LSU, looking at Georgia. He looked at Oregon a little bit. But the hometown school, the Trojans keep him in in town. He's going to be a guy that they are going to try to build the program around. They're going to build the brand, the name image likeness around him. And you saw that you know he he actually signed in december didn't make his announcement until the all american declaration day in january when Wright also made his commitment to usc but you saw then usc came out with a full full-fledged effort with their marketing. He had videos and whatnot about how you know he's going to be a top player for them. So he's a guy that you can potentially build around on the defensive side, but also he's a guy that other players want to play with. Everyone wants to play with those top guys, and he's a guy that, hey, if I'm John Davis and I hear that Corey Foreman is coming off the edge, well, now if I'm an outside linebacker and I'm blitzing, I know i got one-on-one coverage at best. Because they're not going to leave Corey Foreman by himself as, as he's rushing a passer. So I got a better opportunity to succeed there. Same thing with Sierra Wright. Hey, if I'm a cornerback and I know that I got elite pass rushers, Corey Foreman, his former high school teammate, Drake Jackson, on the other side of the line, those guys are going to get to the quarterback and I'm not going to have to cover as long. So my stats are suddenly going to look a little bit better and that's going to make me look better. So you're going to have guys that want to play with a guy like Corey Foreman. You know, having him and Drake Jackson, that's going to be a, a unique situation situation for USC, the high school teammates, they're kind of like brothers. You know, they were really, really good at Corona Centennial when they were together. We'll see if they can, you know, bring that back, the the QB killers as they called themselves in high school, if they can bring that back to USC and produce that pass rush, consistent pass rush USC hasn't necessarily had since Euchinanuwosu uh was there but they did have a little bit with Porter Gustin. However, you know he had the injury, so he wasn't able to be out there all the time. But those elite pass rushers can make an immediate impact. Sometimes you can sign a five-star guy. It might take a couple years before they matriculate and become a playmaker for you. Elite pass rushers can get in, there in the mix immediately and can have an effect. So we'll see what kind of impact that he can have on the defensive side for USC in the 2021 season. A second positive, take back the West. Well, kind of. USC's mantra all this off season was "take back the West." The hashtag, you know, they wanted to, after having such a poor class last year, they really needed to. Focus in. They went hyper local. They got nine of the top 20 players in California. You know, it's been since the middle of the Pete Carroll era since they did that. You know, they didn't let the big name guys leave. You talk about Corey Foreman, you talk about Ray John Davis, you talk about Sierra Wright. All three of those guys are top 100 prospects. Those type of players were the ones that were leaving Southern California and leaving California in general to go either to other West Coast schools or also to go across the country. You've seen a lot of players that have left the area. USC had to focus on taking care of that, and that's a big start for them as they try to build some momentum now. That's another thing that you get out of this Take Back the West. They're building that momentum. They got a commitment from Damani Jackson, the top cornerback in 2022, a five-star guy, top five player in the country. Players want to play around guys like Damani Jackson. They want to play around guys like Corey Foreman and guys like Ray Davis. You know, now you got potential in two classes of having an elite guy at the three different levels of a defense. Now they got to do something on the offensive side. Now they had some positives on the offensive side as far as taking back the West. You had two big time quarterbacks. They really needed to add some quarterback depth, and Miller Moss is coming in from Bishop Alamany, and Jackson Dart, who had the most helium of any player possibly in the country this season, put up uh, video game numbers for Corner Canyon in Utah and became the Max Preps Player of the Year in the nation. So USC brings in two quarterbacks to add to the depth of Keaton Slovis and Matt Fink. So they needed to add some quarterback depth, and getting two big-time quarterbacks is a real positive for them now. They still have some holes though. So that's our negative. You know, they moved into the top 10, but the offensive line getting a second running back there were some still some holes in this class. They've got to do a better job with the offensive line getting their primary targets. You know, they missed out on a guy like Kinsley Suamatia. There was also Oregon. The reason why Oregon has the number one class in the Pac-12 is in large part to the job they did on the offensive line. Uh, they had multiple four-star guys. They got Suamatia. They also picked up a couple guys from Arizona. So while there wasn't a ton of offensive line talent in Southern California, high-end offensive line talent, their, their neighboring states did have that talent, and Oregon found a way to go get those. USC hasn't done that. But I will say, even though this is my negative, USC is doing a, a good job in the transfer portal. So let's see where they go from here. They've done a good job of picking up Xavier Alford, who's going to help out with the loss of Talanoa Funga. Picking up Ishmael Softzer, who's going to do a good job of picking up the slack with Jay Tefele and Marlon Tui Pelotu going Uh Keontae Ingram at the running back position. They didn't get a second running back in the high school class, but adding him in as a transfer gives them some more depth there. So let's see if they can fill that offensive line hole as well uh, in the transfer portal. We'll see uh, what they can do there. They've done a good job so far. transfer portal and they got some positive news on Thursday as they're hiring Brian Carrington away from Texas he's going to work on the offensive side so maybe he can help the offense catch up to the defensive side and how well the defense has been recruiting the last year he's another Texas connection a guy that comes from the University of Texas he came over with Tom Herman from Houston and let me tell you about this guy this There's a story on 24-7 Sports about his impact, and it starts with Ed Oliver. If you remember, Ed Oliver was the five-star defensive tackle. I believe he's with the Buffalo Bills now. Five-star defensive tackle that went to Houston. Now, when does a five-star player ever go to an AAC school? Well, they got Ed Oliver, and when he, Ed Oliver came on a recruiting visit, the first guy he was asking for was Brian Carrington. Well, they had to tell him, well, he's in class right now because he was still a student assistant at that time. So you're talking about a guy who as a student assistant was the lead recruiter and helped able to pull in a five-star player to a Houston. Uh, now let's see what he can do with, with the, the cachet of a USC behind him. He did a really good job at Texas as well. So let's see if, if that adds some more momentum to the offensive side of recruiting. USC has some work to do there as they go forward in the 2022 class, but I see a lot of positive things there. But they do have some holes in this class, so that's going to be my negative. Now we'll bring in our guest for this week, Malik James, affectionately known as Fig to everyone around the premium sports program and on the 7-on-7 circuit, He's got five guys that are big name guys that are coming to USC that have been a part of the premium sports program in the past. He's also had guys in the past, including like JT Daniels uh, you know, Bryce Young, a former USC commit. He's run one of the top programs over the last four or five years and a ton of talent is coming through that program. So Malik, first off, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Tell me a little bit about this group that is joining a USC coming from your program.
0: Oh, uh, thanks for having me. We have a, you know, a few guys that's going to show up and be chosen in the 2021 class. Um, it, it's a great group. It's a great group of young men. The best thing about this group is their kids that were, you know, most of them were committed at other programs and they've seen um, the light at SC um, with the new staff, you know, came in defensively and with Dante Williams and the, the guys that remain. Well, it was, was push, you know, with, you know, Corey Foreman being a cleansing commit and Ray John they once been an LSU commit only to, uh, you know, Anthony Davis, who made an early commitment to Oregon and, and all the men. You know, it's a lot of talent. It's a, it's a lot of experience and a camaraderie uh, amongst those few guys. And then you have the leader in Miller Moss, who's, you know, been a diehard SC fan his whole life. And, and, and all, all, all the way through the process of uh, choosing schools, he never wavered. He always had USC in his heart, and you know that he single-handedly um, helped put together that class on the back end. With a lot of the offensive recruits and defensive recruits throughout the country, so I think it's a really, really, really good task That uh, within the guys that I had, on top of the guys that the other staff members brought in.
2: Yeah, you you've had a ton of, of D one recruits. Uh, five guys in this class. Let's name them right here: Miller Moss, the QB, obviously from Bishop Alameini. Has been a guy that has been the premium program for a couple of years now. Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, uh was rocking Clemson gear a lot of time during last, last spring, uh in his over his premium gear and under his premium gear. But also John Davis, Anthony Beavers, another guy, like you said, that was committed to a different program in Oregon. And then Jalen Smith, another Bishop Alamaney guy as well. You, you, a ton of talent talking about those five guys right there. What is USC adding in particular with Corey Foreman? Everybody kind of wants to know about the number one player in the country. What is unique about this guy?
0: Uh, his ability to be excellent. You know, the kid has the ability to to want to be great in everything he does. I mean, with the frame he has and the athleticism he has, um, you know, he's able to come play tight end for us. And even flexing, some receiver, you know, ideally that's not, what a guy of his stature would want to be, but the kid like weekly came out and like really pushed to be one of the best receivers on the field on the surface. And so, just his you know ability to compete to be excellent, his ability to want to be the best on the field, it also is huge to have SC keep the number one kid in the country at home. Uh, where could have went anywhere else? And ultimately, Corey's just a great young man. He's really really humble. He, he also want to allow them to recruit kids in the future and convince that just because you're number one, you don't have to sit here and look at other places. You can deal with it in your own backyard. So I think that's a home run uh, commitment out of S.C. McCoy.
2: Yeah, when you talk about seven on seven, you don't usually talk much about defensive linemen. Um, but but how does a you know a seven on seven program? How do you guys you, you know you're not just playing games on Saturdays? There's also the training aspect of it. What do you try to you know give to these players, uh, including some of the linemen that want to be a part of your program as well?
0: Well, we just want to get them to understand it's about mobility and uh, agility. You know that's one of the biggest things especially we did with their bodies you got to be able to move. You know, some kids get so fascinated with, you know, lifting weights, or, you know, they, they don't tend to lift weights. Maybe you get caught on, you know, just straight line speed. I think you need to make the ultimate commitment to do as much as you can of all three. And with 707, it, it's really big on ability and agility, understanding concepts defensively and offensively, um, you know, just teaching guys to understand grab routes, identifying coverages. I mean, it goes a long way when you have a, a group of guys like we have at premium, you know, um, we can easily just line out with some of the best guys and just play football and win based on that. But you also want to, tend to challenge the kids' mind. You want to get real cerebral with them so they can be prepared for the next level. Um, traditionally, we have a lot of guys that come out and go to college, various colleges out of the country. Ultimately, a lot of them play, if not as true freshmen they play as, you know, redshirt freshmen. And I think that's just a commitment to them being around guys of their abilities and coming out and working with us and us as a organization that's pushing the, the envelope to get them to be the best that they can be.
2: One of the things I find interesting about the seven on seven programs is that and, and particularly your guys is you guys travel the country. So, you know, when you yeah. guys go on, on a trip and you go play in Florida, well you go and check out some of the colleges and stuff as well when you have an opportunity, especially in a normal year, not as much uh this year with the pandemic, but what is kind of your goal when you're working with these these kids, you know, trying to, you know, broaden their horizons a little bit, not only on the football field, but also off as they're going through the recruiting process?
0: I mean, well, for us, once again, since we're fortunate to have so many national talents, um, a lot of kids don't really get the real opportunity to see the program for what it is. I have no, no loyalty to no, you know, you know, college football team. You know, I have loyalty to the kids within an organization. For instance, if you want to go see a, a, a school out in Mississippi, um, traditionally, if you got on campus with your parent as an unofficial, they're going to keep you within that facility. They're going to show you all the bliss and glamour within that facility. Um, they're not going to show you that everyday life of being in, you know, that state or that city. So what I try to do is I try to sit here and show the kids much more than the university, much more than the uniforms you certified and the, the facility. This is what you'll be in outside of football. Football's only X amount of month a year. This is where you'll be, these are the places you'll eat, these are the kind of things that you'll see. Can you need to sustain this for the next three to five years. And just ultimately on top of it outside of football, you know, a lot of these kids don't have the opportunity to travel. You know, for me, I was an unfortunate to where I wasn't able to travel until I got older, and I wasn't willing to travel really far until I got to college, and so now it's just a matter of you know taking these kids across the country, showing them different places. I know D.C. was one of the places I wanted to see this year because I want the kids to see the monuments, the the M.O.K. statue, uh, you know Franklin, and just everything that D.C. comes with. But at the same time, you know D.C. you can't think help but think about seafood. So just you know the the dishes that various states provide, Tennessee hot chicken. I want the kids to see experience and cherish those memories because nowadays when you get to college, you become a business. And then once you, you know, you leave college and you go, you know, if you get the opportunity in you know, the professional ball, that's a business. I want them to enjoy themselves while they're, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds. I'm with their friends, out of town, and, you know, make you know memories that's lasting forever. That's, like, one of the biggest things for us, you know. And as far as on the recruiting front, it's just, you know, getting in front of the schools and say, hey, look, you know, this kid, you know uh, – he said he won this scholarship to your university. We're out here, you know, show us what, you know, what you guys have to offer. Um, sometime I can, I hear for the kids and I, you know, I help them, you know, get through, uh, you know, questions that they, you know, might want to ask or they don't know how to ask. And I also be there sometime and, and, and kind of let them know what the folks exactly think. You know, some parents are not, um, as seasoned as I am or guys within my organization is. And so it's just small things that we try to provide for the kids outside of football and within football that'll make them, uh, you know, better young men and, and ultimately allow them to make the best decision that they you know, can make for themselves. I think it's really
2: interesting you talk about the travel. I'm from Georgia. I went to school at a small school in Tennessee I had never been west of the Mississippi until I drove out to, to come to USC for grad school. So, uh, you, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. A lot of kids, you know, kind of live in their own bubble and don't get those opportunities. So I, I think it's really unique, to, the experiences you guys are trying to provide. What do you, would you say is kind of your overarching goal, you know, working with the kids? Obviously, you want to try to help guys get scholarships. And, you know, like you said, you're trying to broaden their horizons in a couple of different ways. But what, what would you say the overarching goal is with, with premium sports?
0: I mean, just to get kids to grief. You know, I tell my kids all the time, if, if not more than all the time, and if, if, if we consider and put a member to that, just give me a degree. I don't, I don't ask my kids for tickets. I don't ask my kids for gloves. I don't ask them for socks. Just get me a degree. I want them to become a better men than, than uh, you know, than I was. I grew up in a position where I had, you know, a lot of men in my life, but the men that I truly respect were amongst my peers. So, you know the the respect factor or the respect level was there, but it's like how you know, you you're about my age and that's what my brother. Learn. I truly didn't receive a true male mentor until I was about twenty years old. And that was Dante Williams when I met Dante O'Connor Community College. And I always thought to myself, how much easier life can be for myself, you know, I ultimately was able to achieve a degree and uh do right by myself, you know, academically and get into college. But if I had a Dante Williams at 16, what could have my life have been? And so I try to provide the mentorship of, you know, similarities of a Dante Williams to myself. You know, I remember Dante had myself and, you know, Colin Lockett was at San Diego State and Will Harrison's at, you know, Washington. And he had us in the weight room lifting, lifting weights and conditioning and Richard Sherman and just all of this working out. I'm not going to say it was too late for me. But life can have been completely different if I had them at 16. If I was already lifting, if I was already running, if I was already working on W's, if I was already, you know, locked in academics. So my thing is just make sure to be the best mentor to these kids um, and give them the good and the bad, the real, no fake, the raw, the raw and the uncuts of college football and life early so they can make the best decisions for themselves and become a better man than I am today at 32.
2: That's really interesting that you say Dante Williams was a mentor to you. I'm going to come back to that, but first I want to ask you about your recruiting experience as a high school kid and how that kind of has developed your experience as a coach and you know what you want the kids to see, and then maybe we'll go into to Dante and how you know things can maybe changed after meeting him and seeing him as a mentor.
0: For me, high school ball was the reason for me. It hasn't been too much. Football's never been hard for me. I've always been traditionally one of the better kids on the team. If not the better kid, I've always been traditionally the fastest. But um, I had an older brother, and I had an older brother who was pretty successful in college. But He was the one that everyone believed that was going to make it. And me being a younger brother and not really having a male figure in my life to keep me grounded when my brother left and went to UCLA. I just, you know, I focused on fall, and, and I enjoyed my spring, Did you get that, you know. And so um, it left me in situations where I had a lot of scholarship off and I was highly recruited within the Pac-12 Conference, but I just couldn't accept the scholarship, you know, based on academics. It set me back to where I had to experience during college and I had to sit here and put things together myself. But also made me mature. I look at the kids within the program. I look at kids that I coach in, you know, high school ball. They don't have grit, nor the hustle, nor the, you know, the this, the, the lifestyle that I, I, I had as a child to endure and achieve what I achieved. So my thing, if I don't think they have it mentally and physically, then I'm going to do my best just to just, you know, make sure they don't have to experience it. You know, junior college is rough. I mean, I'll tell you, I've been junior college, and I need to be on my ten, out 25 years old. How do I take the rep from a 25-year-old man with a kid that truly believes he's going to achieve a scholarship offer at UCLA or USC? You think he's going to let me take food off his kid's plate? But my upbringing prepared me for those situations. It hasn't changed from then to now. You know, a lot of my kids, I have come out of various, you know, San Diego, Orange County, Oxnard, you know, San Fernando Valley, Los Angeles. So of them have the, the ability to to fight that, that battle physically or mentally. And so I don't want to put them in that situation. So my thing is, let's just sit here and focus on academics. Let's focus on body transformation. Let's focus on speed, agility, and let's become the best athlete we can become. And let's just achieve a scholarship offer to any division of football. Let's just do our best to get out of our parents' house and get the, you know, the, the degree. And so I think that's what was my ultimate goal for our kids is just, you know, get out of here and become the best we can be, get the degree. You know, don't take the long route like I did. I, you know, I accomplished, but I, I took a very, very long time to do it. You know, I just like my kids to be in a position to, to make it short and sweet You get into the real, real world.
2: You talk about having that – being that role model for them and using your experiences – you played uh, in, in college at Cincinnati and Nevada, uh, and then you know, you went on to play in the NFL for a little bit with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, your brother, Milvaughan also played with uh, the Cleveland Browns. So using that experience and uh, talking about the mentorship factor, you, you talked about Dante Williams, and I thought that was interesting that he was a mentor to you. Uh, what do you take away from your experiences with him for yourself, but also to show these kids, you know, when Dante Williams is now coming around trying to recruit some of the players that you have on your teams.
0: I mean, the way Dante and I met, it, was, uh, it wasn't it was a traditional uh, player-coach relationship. Dante kind of got in the game of coaching, and he was young. You know, he was a young man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he had a guy from Los Angeles, like myself. He had been from L.A. And, you know, I'll never forget it. Dante at the time out a the Dodge Challenger had some nice rims on the lot of beat. and I had a BMW, and so I'm looking like you know my car's a little better than yours, and I'm you know you're my coach, and we just we didn't click right away. But Dante's like, hey, I heard a lot about you. I heard you gonna get to the top corner, and he abused me, and we were back and forth for like two days. You can't back pedal. You're on your heels. You can't do this. You're skinny. You need to eat. You need this and that. And I've never heard anyone just come at me like that, and so I was offended by it, and I didn't take it as him trying to, you know, you know, push me, I took it out as an offensive and um, you know, I know all the hell and doctor to me, don't come back. And once he told me don't come back, I said, no, 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 no. I'm coming back. Just to piss him off. And as I kept coming back, he kept talking shit to me, jumped to me, my apologies. And I kept coming back and we got closer and closer and closer. I just popped up at his mind's house every other day. I popped up in his car every other day. We popped up in the gym. He started buying me muffins and getting me to eat and convinced me. You know, and the mentorship just kicked in. And it's because he never gave up on me. You know, as a, as a male, you know, today, father figure, uh, mentor. You know, I, I see what he was doing. He was challenging me. He was challenging to see if I was tough enough mentally. Not just all mental. Can I come back and I can I push forward? And so today, it helps me to not give up on kids. You know, I have a lot of kids. I've been in a lot of situations, some you know, more successful than others and some who drop you know dropped the ball. But I have been giving up on them. You know, I still try to do my best by them because they can overcome their struggles. It doesn't necessarily have to be football, but they can overcome the struggles that, that life has presented to them and uh become much more than what they are, you know, push by that. And I think that's what Tay did for me. You uh, I knew once I was done with Ho- I mean playing that I want to, you know, to be like Tay have a group of them, I'm telling you 30, 40 guys at El Camino College stretching, lifting. I just told my nephew the other day, I remember Tay had the tens on him, the bench on him, I had And he's like, you can't come down there until you get your weight up. And that's always stuck with me. And so I just always used to work for the work part of that part. And everything I accomplished academically and athletically, I always gave faith to Dante because he could have you know given up on me quickly. And he never did. So now when I got kids that came back and they're asking me like, you know, about Dante and they asked me what kind of guy he is. And you know, you know, it's always positive reviews. And I'm not saying I will give any negative reviews about Dante or any other coach, but reviews with Dante, it just, it just sits a little different because I watched him do for me. And so for you guys to believe in me and I believed in Tay, you know, that says a lot. You know, this, this guy literally picked me up every time I failed. Every time I fail, from, you know, during college to me transferring to everything you picked me up and encouraged me, even to today, you know, if I get, you know, complications with, you know, I want to play ponds in two and they go two to three by one to back offset to the field, i said, say, Tay, what would you do in this situation? Where well, I could sit in and just be arrogant and call someone else, I don't have to clean up. I have done to the car and That's why I want to see to lean on, the mentorship um, as a coach, as a recruiter, um, and just life, so – that's why Dante is really, really successful. Because when kids ask me about Tate, I tell them the truth. Look what he did for me.
2: What's it been like for you watching him? You know, as his career has risen in the in the coaching ranks? You know, he's got bounced around from you know taking a step forward every time, and you know coming to USC, being able to come back to Southern California, being able to add a title this year as associate head coach. And doing really successful on the recruiting, uh, the recruiting rounds as well in his first year with USC. What's it been like for you, kind of watching his ascension as a coach?
0: I feel like I'm in it. I feel like every time Dante moves, I move. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously. You know, from Nevada as a graduate assistant to uh, you know Washington as a graduate assistant to you kind know, the Stays and DB coach to the secondary coach, Arizona, to Nebraska, Oregon. I feel like I've packed up and moved with Dante every single time. And it's just, I'm just, I'm proud of him. You know, I'm proud of him. I know what he wants for himself. I know what legacy he's trying to leave behind. I knew what him coming back home to Los Angeles meant to him, you know, with his father and his, and his, and his newborn and his wife and his mother and, you know, his his many friends to watch him achieve this. And, you know, it's, it's like looking at myself. Those are the, the things that I would like to accomplish. Now, I don't, first say want to, you know, necessarily have to be a coach. You know, if I like to get into the coaching game, it'll be, you know, I like to do the crew. I like to do a lot of interactions. And But I'm looking at what I would like to become. I would like to be a coach and change right like, He's changing lives. And he's doing it with a lot of kids in Southern California. He's giving a lot of kids in Southern California hope. A lot of kids. You know, he's giving myself hope. He's giving a lot of coaches. That's from here, hope a guy that got into the game at 22 years old, started during college, after college, Elko to South, Elko to Mount Fat, and he's achieved all these things. Now he sits at top of college football elite. In my personal opinion, as far as you know, a defensive back coach for sure and recruiting, he took back the West in eight months. Like, like let's let's be real. I'm proud of him. I'm beyond proud of him. You know, I love that. I'm just uh, you know, happy to see him accomplish his many small goals. I know what his big goal is, but he's accomplishing all his big small goals at a rapid pace.
2: Obviously, USC goes from uh, the number 64 recruiting class last year, the worst recruiting class that they've had in the modern era, to this year being back in the top 10. One of the things Clay Helton said yesterday during uh, his press conference on National Signing Day was that Dante you know, really elevates everyone else in the room and kind of forces everyone to work harder. Is he the primary difference? I won't say he's the only difference in USC's recruiting because I, I think Craig Nivar and some of those other guys are, are doing a really good job as well. But is he the primary difference in why USC went from, you know, having their worst class last year to being back in the top ten this year?
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, because you, you got to see it like this. You got you T. Martin. I, I love T. And he was a great, you know, half for SC. And he did wonderful things at SC with recruiting. But, you know, T. T not from Southern California. So when you look back at the staff and the moving guys like Prince Gill and you have Gavin who's done great things at SC since he came in in 2015, I believe, you you get another L.A. guy to be a tag team partner with Gavin. But not only is he a L.A. guy, not only does he have the flavor and the charisma and the personality and the swagger, he is a coach. He's a coach. So you, you got kids who watch tape from Arizona to Nebraska to Oregon and always went to be coached by Tate. You know, he always couldn't get the recruits. I say he traditionally wanted because of distance and program, prestige and so on and so forth. But when he got to Oregon, I think he hit he hit it stride because that Oregon logo shines a little different. And there's no slate that no shot at anyone else, you know, program that prior to that. But it sounds a little different. So once you got the opportunity to go to SC, you can partner in with, with Gavin two LA guys and I can coach and you see who I am and Dante's a straight shooter I think it elevated the class so much because the, the, you know the guys that I'm naming are SoCal kids
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, the five guys I have in my organization are, are, are all kids from Southern California and so once you get a who I believe like Anthony Beavers who's one of the, I believe the first kids to commit in that class that 21 class that is a major like flip who was the Oregon guy? Now you, you get an LA kid like him flipped because of Dante. And I'm not saying Dante's the, the, the only reason he flipped. You know, he had a lot of other coaches recruiting, but Dante was a big reason. Now you, you see other kids from LA say, hey, Tony, why you doing that? You know, hey, Anthony, why, why are you leaving? Then you, you get this other kid coming, the other kid coming. So I think having Dante that part of the UFC staff along with Gavin Morris who's phenomenal, does wonders, you know, does wonders what SC's trying to do. You know, they really placed a fence around the, this, the area, the region, well Southern California this year. A few slipped out, of, you know, but I think they did a really, really good, good job of keeping a good amount of the league talent home.
2: You mentioned Gavin Morris. Uh, obviously, he was a guy that worked with a 7-on-7 program in B2G and has gone on to, to be a recruiting guy at USC and has done really, really well with the Trojans. Is that a career path that maybe you see for yourself? And, and how has this IAWP you know rule that the NCAA has had how has that affected maybe that path that you you see for yourself?
0: The rules it, it, it's affected me, you know, in a, in a major way. I believe that rule wasn't in, uh, implemented. I'll have a, a position somewhere um, among the college football elites. You know, that's not saying that I wouldn't want to coach at a any other level, but I think that I will be somewhere. At a major power five program competing for national championship year and year out, but definitely that's something I can see myself doing. I would love to do it. I'm just waiting on opportunity. And, uh, you know, I've been patient all life. I'm, I'm in no rush. I'm just, you know, when the rule is uplifted, which I hope that is uplifted, you know, sooner than later, I wait until my, you know, opportunity comes from the right program and what makes the most sense for myself and my family. And you know what, if I'm not given opportunity i I continue to bless kids with them, uh, my area you know I, i'm not in no hurry to uh ultimately leave the the, the kids and premium alone because of my establishment is about helping kids that look like myself and uh have similar brains you know like myself you know but ultimately my personal goals are to be you know at the next level so if that, if it presents itself i'll be ready and if it doesn't i continue to do what i'm doing uh within our you know a youth in god for
2: And we wish you the best on that. And just for clarification for our listeners, the IAWP rule is individuals associated with prospects. So because you've you've been associated with so many high name players, it's it's probably made it more difficult for you to to get a job because now you know a USC or a UCLA or you know a Texas. You know, because you're associated with all these great players, they, if they bring you in, then they can't recruit that player at the same time, uh, over the next two years. So, uh, it makes it more difficult for, for guys like Fig to, to be able to move up in in advance in the, in the college game potentially. Tell me about the differences in recruiting this year. Obviously, the pandemic has changed a lot of things. You're connected with all these kids. What has been the biggest difference? Is it just the fact that all the coaches are on Zoom with the players and not being able to take those campus visits? What are, what are the biggest differences you've seen?
0: I mean, the, the getting on campus part is, is the most difficult part, um, period. I mean, because at the end of the day, you you'll you like to see where you're committing. But I just think right like, now a lot of these programs are leaning on guys like myself and respected high school coach. Respected seven-on-seven coaches and say, "Hey, is this guy a guy?" That's how the things scholarship over On top of doing their homework, you know, on top of them doing their homework and all that, you know, everything else. But you know, I, I think it, it 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 hasn't changed much. Besides that, you know, just actually getting on campus and have those physical interactions, because most of the you know interactions is done via text message, they're done via you know direct message, they're done via you know Facetime, via phone call. But uh, I think it just, it just plays guys like myself and it plays guys like other high school coaches and, and other 7-on-7 seven seven coaches. It places them in a situation to where they just have to be respected a little bit more. And I think that's what helps us a lot to have, you know, this is one of our better classes. we signed 27 guys, I believe, Division one. and we're going to sign 36 guys, period, this this class in 21 because a lot of these coaches respect what the program is. And so they call us and say, hey, what kind of guys is it? I know we haven't get to watch this senior year, is he a guy that we can lean on and you know we continue to be honest and and in and, and hearing we all have guys come out that' are really really successful and so you know we're able to sit here and and, and get the fresh from the college coach and, and that helps us
2: and maybe the challenges of the pandemic what what's been the the biggest thing for you guys on in a seven on seven circuit not necessarily we're recruiting but you know, how are you guys kind of go about having your seven on seven, you know, off season and, and going through the you know, dealing with protocols and all the, all the different things when Southern California, obviously in the state of California is not allowing high school athletics. What, what's been the biggest challenges for the seven on seven program with this pandemic?
0: I mean, uh, just getting our kids together and having, um, training. I think that's mm-hmm. one of our biggest challenges. Uh, traditionally, we have training set as. Early, it's late November for sure, December, and we we get at it for about two and a half months. I think that's the biggest challenges for us as far as, you know, we travel. You know, we we, we don't want to accomplish in Southern California. We've done what we can do in Southern California. Most of the kids play against each other or know each other. And so we we, we like to get out and and get after it. But for us, we're just being as safe as possible. You know, every kid in our organization, all our coaches are given, uh, you know, masks and gaiters and, We go through really, really good companies like, you know, Friends of Adidas, they provide a lot of things for us that will allow us to be safe. Um, You know, we temp check our kids. Before every tournament, you know, every tournament, our parents have to sit here and submit within our parent group chat or to our team parents their test results. You have to present test results or you can't play. If you don't have test results in 48 hours before departure, you can't play in that tournament. Mm. And so we're just making sure we're as safe as possible within our organization at home. First, before we head out, we're trying to space our tournaments out as best as possible. We go, we're trying to go like every week and a half, two weeks. Where we have to sit here and do a, you know, ten day quarantine, um, that we're safe enough to do that. But the challenges is just the development. It's just the development right now. We're really focused on just getting the rest and trying to get our kids seen as much as possible. Other than that, I think you know challenges are obstacles that you know we can sit here and jump over. And I'm used to jumping over obstacles. So as long as my parents are all in as they've been for the past few weeks and my kids are willing to sit there and, and give it their all and be as responsible and protect themselves, I think we'll be fine.
2: And thank you so much for the time a time, Malik. We're gonna a couple of a rapid fire though. I don't want to keep you for too long here, but who's the best seven on seven athlete you've ever seen? Maybe I will let you get away with giving me two or three.
0: Athlete. Uh I just tell Sam Bruce. I tell you, I don't have some dudes. I don't seen some dudes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'll go with those two. Oh, Eric Fuller, mm-hmm. Eric Fuller. Yeah, I'll go with those. I'll go with those three guys for now.
2: All right. Biggest surprise that you've seen uh, in recruiting? Biggest change, maybe over the last like five years?
0: How personal has it become? How personal has it become? how intimate has it become? You know, you know, when I came up there's a letter. You got crazy, you went crazy for a letter and you put it on your wall <laughs> and you waited, you know, you waited for a phone call at 7 PM and, um, you made sure, you know, you know, no one's on the phone so the call can come through. Now it's, it's personal, it's intimate, it's FaceTiming, you know, it's almost like a relationship. It's literally like dating. It's like, it's like you're courting someone. You're FaceTiming, you're texting, you're calling, listening, you know, DMs and with images and, and they're, they're talking to your little sister, it's like, hey, hey, look, you know, they're learning who your <laughs> sister are. I mean, it's truly become like a personal, intimate relationship. I'm happy. I don't have to be in it as far as like a player because you're, you're learning this coach. That coach is learning you. And if you go somewhere else, it's like, you know, it wasn't real. You know, you're questioning yourself like you really was in a relationship, like like, like you got dumped. You know, <laughs> uh, it, 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 that's it. it. It's really, really personal. It's really, really intimate. But I think it allows the kids to vet who they're going to deal with. I think it allows the kids to bet who they're going to deal with based on their consistency, based on how genuine, you know, they feel they are. Once again, with myself, you got a phone call, hey, man, we really, really like you. and You have the scholarship offer, blah, blah, blah. You probably get another call back from him for another, you know, four days. Now, almost, if you, ain't, if you don't get a text message from the coach tomorrow, he forgot about you. If you don't get an edit for your birthday, you know, you're disappointed. You want 30 edits. You want every school that offers you to give you an edit. If they don't give you an edit, you probably pissed off. And guess what? If you don't post another school's edit, they're going to hit you and say, what's wrong with my edit? So, uh, yeah, that's it. It's personal, man. It's personal. It's intimate. Um, but nonetheless, I think it, 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 it helps all our athletes throughout the country to make really, really good decisions based on their relationships they're establishing and building within uh, the program and the coaches.
2: All right, then if if it's like a relationship, then you got you got to have a good bad breakup story. You don't have to name the player, the school, but there's got to be a good bad breakup story there. Uh What's the best one or or, or the worst one, I guess, that you've seen?
0: Oh man, <laughs> oh I got a lot. Now I got a lot. <laughs> I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna pass on that one because it sounds like morbid. <laughs> it's like work, man. Jerry Springer in here. But I only got some bad breakups. Some bad breakups. I'll keep something simple, just, you know, last minute flip. A last minute flip. Valentine's Day, we'll, we'll compare it to Valentine's Day. You know, Valentine's Day is Signing Day, and they, they thought they was going to roof, Chris to get a good steak, and everybody was happy, and, he he showed up, you know, to do Chris on Valentine's Day with another chicken, and it broke it broke their heart. I think it's a traditional flip. But I got some stories, man. So,
2: well, next time we have you on, we're gonna have to try to get into some of those. You talk about relationships and how this is, you know, uh, Chris Trevino, uh, obviously uh, from USCFootball.com. He wanted to, to tell you hello, but he said that. He thinks there should be a real housewives of seven on seven in Southern California, uh, you know, where they fall around the, the seven on seven coaches instead of the housewives. Um, you know, how entertaining do you think that would be if you have, you know, you, Armand Hawkins, and some of the other the, the other leaders being followed around with cameras, particularly on game days in, in a big tournament?
0: That'd be dope. That'd be dope. <laughs> I think it'd be really entertaining. I think Netflix put the bill. they're smart, they'll put it. It'd be dope. I mean, at the end of the day, I think all of us as coaches, mentors, fathers, want what's best for all of our kids in our organization. And at all costs, we're going to, you know, press to, you know, overachieve, you know, overachieve and, and you know, ultimate goals, scholarships, and championships. So I think I think it'll be dope, you know. so now, I don't watch Real Housewives um, enough to know who the, the the main star was, but whoever the main star was would probably be premium. <laughs> it'd probably be premium. We'll probably be the one with the biggest car, the nicest house, the best, you know, the best, you know,
2: clone, that's us. Look, There's already that's a little us. trash talk going on there. So whoever's from Netflix that's listening to this, you know, they've had the Cope Snoop program, which obviously Jalen Smith, Anthony Beavers, were, were former guys there coming through the USC program. Yeah. Maximus Gibbs also coming to USC. You've had the Last Chance You. Uh, Malik's already talked about his junior college experience there, so you know he he fits right in with this. So someone needs to hit up Malik James. You know I, I've got his number, so you guys can reach out to me and we'll, we'll make it happen.
0: Hey, we can make it happen. I have content from from I have content from day one at Premium. So much content. If Netflix is smart, they make it happen. They'll make it happen. But nonetheless, it it definitely will be intriguing to see you know them follow just within Southern California, myself and other organizations. Um, and what we do and you know, the, the nights we have, you know, I take some calls at 7.30 in the morning. I take some calls up until midnight, about 7 on 7. I don't have to take it, but sometimes I feel like, you know, explanation is old to some people. And if I'm on the phone with you that early or that late, I respect you. for you annoying me, one or another. <laughs> but, you know, that's it. It's definitely worth it if they ever considered it. But you know, other than that, things are all good.
2: Well, thank you so much to Malik James for jumping on with us, Fig. You know we appreciate your time, and, and you know thanks for giving your giving us your insight on not only the the guys coming to USC, but also the guy that's helping recruit all those guys to USC with Dante Williams. Really appreciate the time, man, and, and best of luck with, with Premium Sports as as the season continues, the off season here, the seven on seven gets gets roaring uh, with the tournaments and everything. Wish you the best of luck and the best of luck in your career as well.
0: I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you do for the kids. I appreciate what you do for all the organizations out the country. Um, you know, you're my guy. And a uh, matter of fact, let me know what's the 7 and 3 fourths. I'm going to go get some hats made right now and get you a, uh, get you a premium fitted. 7 and 3
2: eighths. that's where I'm at.
0: Alright, well, we're the same size too, so I'll make sure I take care of you right now.
2: Awesome. Thanks so much to Malik for joining us. That's Malik James, the founder of the Premium Sports 7-on-7 organization. To close out this week's show, I want to bring in good friend, buddy, colleague, Chris Trevino. And I, I thought it was interesting because Chris can provide a little bit of a different perspective. Talking with Malik James, Chris has been on the recruiting trail, has interviewed Malik in the past, talked with all the players that that we've talked about in this episode, but I thought it was interesting. I asked Chris for a couple questions. What should I ask Malik? He said, ask him about his recruiting experience. And so when Malik said, you know, it's so different now because he would get a letter and tack it up on the wall and be excited about a letter uh, and then hope for a phone call. Chris, what did you kind of make uh, of the differences in recruiting from 20 years ago or 15 years ago to nowadays?
1: First of all, thank you for having me on Shotgun. Also, as a fellow friend, I am honored to be on this as a closer. Never been referred to a closer in my life, so that feels good. And shout out to Fig. Who has just been a good friend since I started working here at Two Four Seven was one of the first guys I ever reached out to when I was starting to get my feet wet in the recruiting scene. He welcomed me in with open arms. I, I remember I went down to Hawkins one day with him and his brother, and we just sat down and talked. and He gave me access to all his, all those that stacked lineup he had at Hawkins, and I've been a uh, I've been chatting with him up ever since. So I miss him, and I hope I can see him on at a seven on seven tournament or something soon. But yeah, like we we're talking about letters. Who gets letters anymore? The only letters <laughs> I get are from my electric company and my insurance card company wishing me happy holidays. Like, I don't care. You see all these old documentaries about all these football players, and that's the only time you really get to see how recruiting was with them when they dump out the boxes of letters. And I just want to know, how do you flex on people back then? You know, <laughs> these days you're just posting every offer you get you're tagging people up. You're throwing the images up there. Everyone's retweeting you, giving you all this love. People are reaching out to talk to you about your offers. How did you flex on your teammates and your, your classmates back then? That's the big question I have.
2: I don't know. I, I think one of the things that's lost now that, that there's not the letters, and hey, some schools are still sending a written piece of mail every day for certain recruits or a certain number of pieces of mail, They're trying to do special things through the mail and, and do it in a different way. Uh, but you know, I'd rather much, much rather have a video. Send me a video I can watch for a minute rather than opening 65 pieces of mail. Uh, but you miss out on that golden photo op, for the newspaper, the local newspaper wants to say, "Hey, if you're in a small town, look at this kid. It, you know, there's some of them with kids like sitting in a bathtub, and they're you know surrounded by all the the uh, the mail that they've received, or laying on their bed and just all you know surrounded with all this stuff. So I think you're missing out there. So that's kind of a flex. But if the newspaper wasn't coming to talk to you, did you like did you have your mom take that and then you just like post it up at the school? Like I I don't know how you do flex on them.
1: Some of my options were. If you had a car, you would just tape them to like the windows of your car in the back of your car, put them in the front dash, like a parking ticket almost. And people are like, oh, look, <laughs> I'm riding around. I got UCLA. I got Alabama. I got all these schools. Or maybe you put them in your locker. You know, when you open the locker, you got the Letterman. Pop that open. Everyone's around your, your locker. You know, you got the honeys around you. And they're like, ooh, Georgia. Ooh, Clemson. Ooh, kill them. But now you got to pick up all those letters when they spill out of the locker. Yeah, that must get exhausting (laughs) to do that bit, to like stack them all like, oh, man, just no more room in my room at home. I just got to keep them here.
2: You you better hope you're on block scheduling so you're only stopping by your locker a couple times.
1: Right. It gets to the point where it's just exhausting, but you have to keep up the charade of flexing (laughs) on everyone. But what you mentioned about the newspaper, that does remind me of a story of when I went. This is before I joined uh, 247 and I was still a high school sports reporter. We went to a photo shoot for Juju Smith Schuster. At Long Beach Poly, and they did. They set up. They did the classic. He brought all his letters. Had I think they were trash bags, and they went into this like rundown kind of locker room in Poly, and they just like put the letters all over. And I always remember I was just tagging along uh, because my my coworkers were really in at Long Beach Poly, so I just wanted to tag along and see, obviously meet Juju. And I always remember Iman Marshall was there, and he was just hanging out. And this guy was like a future five star. And I remember very distinctly, he was wearing these very crappy University of Maryland sweatpants. And I remember I saw that and I was like, is Maryland going to get Iman Marshall? <laughs> and I remember being Chris so- being ex- a Maryland alum. Yes, if you don't know, I'm all about the Maryland. I went to the University of Maryland. I rep it very hard. I annoy these guys sometimes. Maybe I rep it too hard. But I remember being very excited. And then like, my buddy was like, I don't know where he got those. He's not going to Maryland. I was like, oh, <laughs> all right, all right. Let me let me have this moment. But that's what I remember distinctly. Being in that photo shoot, Ima Marshall was there random, wearing Maryland sweatpants for, I don't know where. It looks like they got at Ross dress for less. <laughs> I don't know. They were very crappy.
2: Hand-me-down sweatpants.
1: Hand-me-down sweatpants. They weren't mine because I wasn't missing my Maryland sweatpants.
2: I don't think Iman Marshall, your sweatpants would fit on him. Even your baggy sweeping. No, but uh, these he- hamhocks,
1: I do have DB <laughs> ham hocks. Uh So maybe, sorry, that's a. It
2: always comes back to the hamhock. That's ham a family for
1: joke about. A joke? Reality. Sorry, not a joke. Um, but back to your original question. What was the question? Back to flexing on people. Yeah. You,
2: you know, when you, it's interesting you bring up, you know, you keep them in your car or something. Do you then try to use that if you get pulled over for speeding in high school? Do you then be like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I, you know, I got all these offers, and you just try to throw it out there, like you know, some celebrities try to say, "You know who I am," type of thing, uh, or I'm a player at the at so and so school. If you get in trouble, you, you're bringing that up. At, hey, I'm a five star recruit, even though we're, we're, there's not too many recruiting services at this time. You know, is that what you're doing?
1: Yeah, me personally, I'm telling them, you know, you guys can check my trunk, and then boom, <laughs> just recruiting letters out the ass. That that's what I'm doing right there. I'm t- pop the trunk. Yeah, you can take a look. I'm not gonna you can bring the K9. I don't care. Look at there. Look at that. BAM. USC right at right in the front door. What's interesting to
2: me is some of those photo shoots is how how often the envelopes are unopened. Like, how do you feel if your photo, you know, you got Michigan, that Michigan logo's prominent on the envelope, and
1: it's none of those are open. I think you gotta feel do you think that's what coaches would they would get that that issue of that paper and they would look closely to get magnifying glass. <laughs> it's not even opened. That's all, okay, we're out. No more, no more. We're spending a fortune sending this guy 30 pieces of mail a week. Look, that's, that's it. It's that's, not even open them. That's the
2: old school version of Twitter sleuthing, you know, where everyone's trying to see what, what did this person like? What are they, you know, who's following them, that type of thing. That's old school.
1: Yeah, it's so so different now. But I do, like you mentioned before, I do appreciate that coaches do sometimes still send letters. Kids still get a little bit excited about mail, but now it's more like who followed you, who DM'd you. But like when I did a story with Jude Wolf, the USC tight end, he still had some handwritten letters up in his room. So I, I think those are still cool to to hang on, and they still have the big thing of mail. They showed me probably not what it was back in the day, but still, still, it's still enough to where it can uh, fill up a bin. Not great for the environment, but. <laughs> Great for
2: handwritten notes are, are still still always going to be popular. Always. A handwritten notes. hey, if you need to, if you're listening today, write a thank you note to someone and send it out to them. I, I think you know those those still have uh, a place in our in our community and, and in our society. So so thank someone today. Be uh, thankful for something that in your life or someone who's done something good for you.
1: Is it poor taste to sell those to sell? You- okay, hear me out. Let's say I'm Vince Young and I have my Mac Brown recruiting letter, is it important to sell that? Or what if I'm not Vince Young? What if I'm just like a random four-star that, you know, I didn't didn't make it big, but I still have recruiting letters from Stoops or Mac Brown or Sabin. Do you think those are worth anything?
2: I don't know if they're worth anything, but I say sell it. You know, I, I think it's interesting. Maybe there's some value if it's, Nick Saban recruiting Tim Tebow, you know, someone who becomes a big rival, you know, at a rival school or something. That type, maybe there's some interest there in the future. I don't know, but if you're a college student, sell anything you can.
1: I didn't, I didn't even think about that. Like Nick Saban recruiting Tim Tebow, I didn't even think of that because those letters exist somewhere or they're destroyed. But I'm sure there's, there's, there's some cool pieces of recruiting history or what ifs buried in someone's uh, storage locker.
2: You, you know, I think it'd be really interesting. Like what did Rick Neuheisel write to Matt Barkley? Obviously Matt Barkley goes on to throw the touchdown in the 50 game against USC. You know, if he, if he wrote something in the uh, personal letter that talked about beating USC or something, yeah, I think there's some intrigue and maybe some intrinsic value there. If you're a player, do you want to sell that? I, I think you know maybe you hold on to that and that becomes part of your your uh, memory box or whatever for the future after your football career.
1: Or a uh, USC letter to Deshaun Jackson, or DeAnthony Thomas. All these what ifs? What? Or I think the cream for USC, cream of the crop for USC fan would be like a Reggie Bush recruiting letter. I think
2: if you're a fan, I think you would find interest in that. Yeah. So so yeah, if they want to sell it, go for it. Especially while you're in college, you got to make that money.
1: NCAA is listening in on this. <laughs> <laughs> the, hey, N- if, the NSA and the NCAA are listening. If, on this. If you, you want can, this one, you want this one.
2: If you can sell your shoes and stuff, uh, you know your equipment. Now you got to wait till you're done with, with with your eligibility. But you've seen like, look at some of the the former Oregon players that sell. You know, do like basically. Twitter yard sales, you know, with, with multiple jerseys being sold out because they have so much different stuff. So I, I think it's a lucrative offer. You gotta gotta make money where you can. I guess
1: it's changing and it's gonna be changing over the next couple of years. And there's gonna be like nights where we're gonna have to be watching uh, recruit Twitter uh, Twitch streams to, it, it, to to figure out what's going on.
2: It, it'll be different for sure. And you know, in in five years and ten years, we may be talking about how Twitter follows. You know, how dumb that was or how obsolete that is. You know, similarly, as we're talking about getting that letter and tacking it up on the wall.
1: I'm not getting a TikTok. <laughs> I refuse. I'm not doing it.
2: We won't force you to, Chris, not on this show. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Chris, for jumping on to close out the show. This has been the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spratling on the Peristyle Podcast Network.
0: Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.